Morning, everybody. All right. I won't be the typical youth pastor and say, well, I couldn't hear you, and ask you to do it again, because I realize it's the morning, and some of us haven't had coffee yet, so it's all good. Uh, my name is Spencer Meisner. I am one of the youth pastors here at Forest Grove Community Church. Also, I'm the young adults pastor here. I feel like I've introduced myself a fair amount, uh, but I think it's getting to the point where I actually recognize a lot of faces here now. Uh, maybe not names, but faces. Uh, so it's good to have been a part of this church for, for two years and in two weeks now. Um, so uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to preach and supporting uh, the ministries that I'm, that I'm a part of. Um, one of those ministries is uh, I'm going to speak at Camp Kadesh uh, next Sunday. I'll be there for a whole week. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of that, um, that place for a while. Um, I've never spoken there. I've visited there a couple times. We have a lot of uh, youth and young adults uh, involved uh, at Camp Kadesh. Of course, Chandra, our other youth pastor, uh, spends her summers up there in a discipleship role. So our church is actually very tied to Camp Kadesh in that way, uh, in, in those many ways. So I'm excited to continue that partnership and be a part of that uh, in, the, in the weeks coming up. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about when I was at Kadesh was the idea of uh, redemption, um, the idea of being redeemed uh, from brokenness. Um, I think that's just as relevant to teenagers and to high school students as it is to, to all of us. Uh, and so I actually want to talk about that a bit this morning as well. Um, and, I, and I can't really talk about the idea of being redeemed without knowing what we're being redeemed from. Um, and, and I don't want to get into many examples of brokenness in this world because I think that we all understand brokenness in, a, in the sense that we have seen it all around us. Um, we see it on the news, we see it uh, within our friend groups, we see it in our homes, we see it in our, in our own bodies and ourselves. Um, so brokenness is nothing new to us, um, but brokenness is a very real thing uh, in, in our world and actually within ourselves. Um, and maybe the best example I have of this is actually where, kind of where it all began with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, in the sense that they had everything they needed. They had uh, everything they could ever imagine or ask for, within the garden. Um, God even walked with them, uh, physically walked with them in the Garden of Eden, which is something that we wish we could have today. Um, and yet they, they threw it away for sin. Um, and this is kind of where brokenness began. The idea of this close-knit relationship with God that is no longer as close. It's no longer there in the same way that it once was. Now for us as 21st century Christians who we're all born in a time after Jesus. Um, this brokenness has actually been mended a little bit. We don't really understand the darkness that could come with, with brokenness and a broken relationship from God. Um, in those years from the fall until Jesus, we read all through the Old Testament in Scripture about how, how bad things were. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the Old Testament is lament and sadness and and war, and famine, and wandering, and all these, all these things where, where God wasn't nearly as, as present and as close as he once was in, in the garden. And now, thankfully for us, because of the death of Jesus Christ, we can actually experience, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I should say, we can actually experience this relationship with God in a whole new light. Um, I, I spoke back uh, last Christmas about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, and I submitted the fact that it's possible, and, and I would say probable, that Jesus didn't actually just come to bring peace on earth, necessarily, when he claimed to be the Prince of Peace, but actually came to bring peace between us and our Creator. Something that didn't exist because of brokenness. Something that didn't exist because of sin. 
um, and Jesus bridged that gap for us. When he died, we all know the story of, of uh, the, the Holy of Holies, the curtain tearing in the temple um, to signify the, that God's spirit was everywhere and not just in this one, this one room anymore. This is something that didn't happen before, it didn't exist before, and it exists now for us where we are. And so this idea of redemption coming from brokenness comes out in 2 Corinthians 5, which I'll be talking about today. Um, and just a bit of a background on this letter. This is um, Paul's most personal letter in the sense that there's a lot of emotion tied to it. Um, he wrote two letters that we know of in Scripture to the Corinthian church. The thought is that there's actually three letters or more written to the Corinthian church. We have two of them in Scripture. Um, so that means there's a lot of communication, a lot of constant communication with this church. Um, Paul had walked through some hard times with them. If you remember um, in 1 Corinthians, there's the story of uh, the man who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and, and Paul needs to work through that with the church and talk about church discipline and, and excommunicating this person. That's a hard thing for him to do for a church that he loves. During the writing of this letter, um, Paul is, uh, of course, coming off a very intense altercation with them. Um, he's had his apostleship and his integrity intact by people, attacked by people in the church. Um, people are claiming that Paul's not all he's cracked up to be. Um, people claiming that he doesn't have the authority that he, that he claims he has to be preaching what he is. Um, so again, this is coming from a place of vulnerability for Paul. A commentator says this about 2 Corinthians. Uh, it reflects the pain and the heartache of the conflict, as well as Paul's relief and joy that it had been resolved. Mainly, it reflects Paul's sense of vindication for his ministry. So he's seeing good things come from this church, but it's been a hard-fought battle for Paul. He's also battling against Gnosticism uh, at the time, which is the idea that all matter is evil. So anything physical is evil. The pew you're sitting on, uh, what you had for breakfast, your physical body, everything is evil. That was the prevailing thought among Gnostics at the time. And there were Gnostic Christians at the time who believed that that all matter was evil. And so because of this, they believe that there's no way Jesus could have actually come as a man because the physical body was evil, and it was, it was made up of bad things, and there's no way that a perfect Jesus could have come as a physical man. So this was a prophet or the spirit of Jesus kind of telling this man what to say. So Paul's battling against this as well. Um, you, you read a lot about it actually in First John. John talks about it a lot, but Paul even uses words here within our text like flesh, uh, passed away, that Jesus was made to be sin. He's fighting against this idea, this prevailing idea within a lot of churches around the time of Gnosticism, that Jesus actually wasn't the physical person that he claimed to be. So there's a lot going on within this book for Paul, within this letter for Paul, and there's, that's why there's a lot of emotion there that you can see. He's really pouring his heart out to this church um, that, has, that he's kind of fought battles with and for and sometimes against. Um, so this is a, there's a lot of uh, deep-seated feelings within this letter. So now that we understand it a bit, let's, uh, I'm just going to read here from 2 Corinthians 5, looking at verses 16 to 21. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So as we're, as we're reading this text, and as we kind of dig in about it, uh, dig into it and learn about it, there's probably four main consequences here of, of having life in Christ. And consequences isn't always a bad word. It just means what comes because of. So because of we have life in Christ, there are four consequences that come from this. The first one, this is where I would have a nice slide of all four consequences here. So just imagine it in your mind. Um, the first one is this, that there's a new way of knowing. There's a new way of knowing people. Uh, we no longer see or judge people by human standards, which is something that I definitely did before I knew Jesus. Um, a commentator named John Polhill says this, Those in Christ view others from the perspective of Christ's love, the self-denying love that led him to a cross. So in other words, because we have life in Jesus, we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus and through the lens of how Jesus sees them which is something that I know for me, I definitely did not do before I had new life in Christ. And I would submit that that likely happened for all of us before we knew who Jesus was. That we judge people based on human standards, and we judge them based on what we thought was right. And we saw them how we thought we should see them, rather than seeing them as Jesus sees them. So this begs the question, then, how does Jesus see them? I think we need to answer that question before we can understand how we are to see them. So let's turn, let's turn this back to us. How does Jesus see us? Well, this, is, this is how we were. How we used to be was that we worshipped and served idols. Romans 1 talks about that a, a fair bit. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The penalty for sin is death. And in our sin, we were spiritually dead. These are descriptors of how we were when brokenness hit before redemption came. We were children of wrath, living as enemies of God. That's a, that's a hard one to swallow for me. These are, these are descriptions that come from God's word for us. <laughs> Labels that, that were on us, that we were enemies of God. And that's a hard one for me to grasp. To understand that, that God loves me so much, and that now I get to love him in return, that I ever was an enemy of God is tough. I don't, I don't want that label. I don't want that label at all. But it's what I was. And because of this, we, we deserved righteous judgment. The Psalms uh, pound this home pretty hard for us. We deserve righteous judgment. This is what we were. And so thankfully, we can look now as to how Jesus sees us now because of his love, because of his death, because of his resurrection, and because of the new life we have in him. This is how Jesus sees us now. He sees us as the righteousness of God. So when Paul's saying that, he means um, acceptability. He means uh, reconciliation to God. We are the righteousness. We are reconciled to God. We actually are God's reconciliation to others. We are children of God. Uh, The Gospel of John talks about this. Galatians talks about this. Um, That's a good label to have, considering I was an enemy at one point. Um, This is is also good for, for many of us who maybe didn't have relationships or good relationships with our parents. We can also look at this and say, we are children who belong to a good father. That's a good label for us to have. Maybe a hard one to understand for lots of us, but a good one to have. 
This is the label I'm proud to carry. We were far off, but, but now we're brought near. This is how Jesus sees us. We once were far off, but through Christ we were brought near to God. And if we draw near to God, God draws near to us. Also a nice consequence and benefit of knowing Jesus. We are more valuable than sparrows. Uh, there's a lot of talk about this in Matthew, and that's good for me. I like that as well. Uh, the idea that out of all the things God created in this universe, that we are his masterpiece, that we are his crowning achievement, that we're more valuable to him than the rest of creation that he, that he has made, that we actually very much matter. This is how Jesus sees us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. All incredible labels that, that there's no way I could have achieved on my own merit. Because of redemption, I can put myself in these categories. And I think maybe most enjoyable of all for me is that, I am, is that Jesus isn't ashamed to call me a brother. Hebrews talks about this. And this, this one blows my mind. Considering all of the lists of the things that we were, when we were enemies of God, we've fallen short, we were children of wrath, we deserved righteousness, we were spiritually dead. The fact that Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brethren, brothers and sisters, that's a big deal. Jesus could have very sheepishly said, yes, these are my brothers, but you know, they've, they've come from a long line of, of sin and brokenness, and that's fine, they're my brothers and sisters, but he's not ashamed of that. That's the terminology, the language that that is used in Hebrews, that he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That is a good thing for me. I love that. That sounds way better to me than being an enemy of God. That's exciting for me. So if this is how Jesus sees us, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, there is plenty more in Scripture for you to dig to see these labels and these uh, descriptions given to us by Jesus, that if this is how Jesus sees us, this is likely how we need to view other people. If we're supposed to be viewing people through the eyes of Jesus, then this list of good things that we are is a list of good things that other people are. So this is, this is how we need to be viewing others. As the righteousness of God, as children of God, they were far off, but then now they're brought near that they're more valuable than sparrows, that they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own possession, and that they are our brothers and sisters. These are just a few descriptions of how we need to view others. So if a consequence of knowing Jesus and having new life in Jesus is seeing others as Jesus sees them, here's a good place to start. Here's a good list for you to view others with. And so I think we... In order to do that, we probably need to have a heart that emulates God's. Because sometimes it's really hard to view people in, these, in this light. There's tough people in our lives that we know of um, that, are, that are hard to love and they're hard to see this way. So I think one of my favorite prayers, song lyrics, whatever you want to call it, is just break my heart for what breaks yours. I think that helps us to see what God's heart is. is we have to ask for it. We have to ask God to, to break our heart for what breaks his so we can see people as he sees them. Number two, the second consequence here for us, for, for life in Christ, is that those in Christ are a new creation. Uh, Romans 6 talks about it as walking in the newness of life. 
Um, however you want to say it, this is, this is a hyperbole of, uh, used to drive home a point that, that what you once were, you, you are now no longer. Um, and we can go back to that list again and talk about all these things that we once were and all these things that we are now. Um, but I feel like I've driven that, home, that point home enough. Um, this is, this is a, a point used to say that you don't want to live like you once did. That we are a new creation. And because I have a hard time wrapping my head around that sometimes, I just wanted to use uh, a commentator's words f- for you this morning about what it means to be a new creation. So it says this, Old dead things are replaced with new things, full of life and the glory of God. The newborn soul delights in the things of God and abhors the things of the world and the flesh. Our purposes, feelings, desires, and understandings are fresh and different. We see the world differently. The Bible seems to be a new book, and though we may have read it before, there is beauty about it which we have never seen before, and which we wonder at not having perceived. The whole face of nature seems to us to be changing, and we seem to be in a new world. The heavens and the earth are filled with new wonders, and all things seem now to speak forth the praise of God. There are new feelings towards all people, a new kind of love towards family and friends, a new compassion never felt before for enemies, and a new love for all mankind. The things we once loved, we now detest. The sin we once held on to, we now desire to put away forever. We put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Everything has changed. That is a consequence of new life in Christ. Everything has changed. Your home has changed. Your home is heaven. Your identity has changed. Your identity is now Jesus. Your actions have changed. It should be Christ-like and loving. Your speech has changed. It should be encouraging and uplifting. Nothing is the same as it once was in your life before you knew Jesus. This is the consequence of new life in Christ. The third consequence is this, that we actually need to reconcile ourselves to others. That there is actually a duty on our behalf to be writing the relationships that exist horizontally because we have been righted vertically with God. Verse, verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5 here, as I was reading, I'll just repeat that again. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So not only do we need to be spreading the gospel to people in order to reconcile them to God, but because we have this word of reconciliation, we actually need to be writing the relationships that exist around us that may be strained and, and hurting because of who knows what. That's actually, that's actually on us. It's a consequence for us in Christ is to be at peace with all men as best to our abilities. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we know that we are called children of God. So it's our job to be peacemakers. And that's, that's again, a hard one to do. I understand that's messy. I, I don't claim to know anything about your family or your friendships or your work history or wherever there may be a hurting relationship. Um, but just know that this is something that we're called to. And so um, we need Jesus in this very much to do this. That we are called to be peacemakers and to be reconciling not only people to God, but um, ourselves to others. And remember that this, this was a church that this letter was written to who just excommunicated a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. 
So they know full well what it means to try and reconcile a messy relationship. Because that's what Paul's asking them to do here. Because a couple chapters earlier, he says he asked the church to forgive and comfort this man and to reaffirm their love for him. So this is a hard thing for them to do because they have just walked through this hard, messy process of excommunicating someone from their church. Something that as far as I know, at least in the last two years, we haven't done. And I hope we never have to do. Because that is a very messy thing to walk through as a body of 800 people. To excommunicate someone, that is something I never ever want to have to do. And this church walked through it. And now Paul's actually saying to them, okay, it's time to reconcile that relationship. It's time to reaffirm your love for him, to forgive him and comfort him and welcome him back into the church. A man that he literally told them to hand him over to Satan. (laughs) This is a a really big 180 for Paul here to say, okay, now we need to love him again. So they know that this is going to be tough for them to do. And I know this will be tough for us to do in situations as well. But this is something that Jesus asked us to do and that we're called to be doing. And that's the whole reason I think Paul puts this here is because he knows this church is walking through and maybe trying to forget the hurt that has been put on them in that same way. The last one is this, that, that we are ambassadors, right? This talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. We bear the mark of our creator. A couple more labels and ideas that can be put onto us for being ambassadors are this, that God has chosen us, that he has called us, and that we are therefore to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That is something that redemption has to do for me. I cannot be called and chosen by God or walk in a manner worthy of my calling without Jesus. But we are ambassadors for Christ. We know that that we are a city on a hill. We know that we are the light of the world. We know we're the salt of the earth. But I often try to think of it as being someone who actually represents Jesus to the rest of the world. I don't know if that helps you understand it better, but I know that helps my brain focus on this. We are no longer in darkness, but we are light in Jesus, so we are to walk as children of light. Uh, we are saints. We are saints. We are servants. We are stewards. We are soldiers. Um, these are all from Scripture, labels that are given to us from Scripture as ambassadors for Jesus. We are a witness and a worker, and through Jesus we are victorious. We have a glorious future, and we are a citizen of heaven. Again, these are all things that are only possible because of redemption, because of grace. Because if I was to try and be any of these things on my own, I would fall flat on my face. But because of Jesus, because of the redemption that has been brought, thanks, because, sorry, the redemption that has been brought because of our brokenness through the death, the love, and the resurrection of Jesus, this is something that we are. A consequence of new life is that we are ambassadors for Jesus now. And that's, again, a hard thing to think about. It's tough for us to do that because we can't actually do it on our own. That's why it might be scary and daunting to us, because I don't think we actually can do it. I think we need to rely on Jesus more than we we ever have in order to do this well, to actually live out this consequence. This is what redemption looks like, because there's no way that I could achieve any of these titles, any of these labels, any of these descriptions by my own merit. That's what redemption is for us. Not only are we given eternal life, which is The pinnacle of this, for sure, we are given eternal life, we are given a home with Jesus, we are saved from our sin. But these four consequences come out pretty clearly in this chapter of of 2 Corinthians. We've gone from being enemies to being ambassadors. From, From people who hated God to people who are now proclaiming how great his love is for us and for the world. 
That is a very stark transition that cannot happen without Jesus. And so here's my my question, and here's kind of where I struggle with this, actually, a little bit. I'll be honest with you. How do we see this redemption play out in our world? We know, like I said before, we know that this world is broken. We see brokenness everywhere. I read an article this morning that that said that um, the generation that's just underneath mine is on the brink of the biggest mental health crisis the world has ever known. This is brokenness in our world. So my question is, I can, I can talk about how amazing all these things are that we have, all these labels are that we have, and I believe every one of them. But my, my difficulty is, how do we bring this redemption to our world that we live in? Because when we walk out of this church, we actually go back into the real world and we actually have to live with and live amongst the brokenness that exists. And we need to have a response for that if we are ambassadors for Jesus. And if I'm honest with you, I don't have answers. Because each of us exists in different contexts where, where you are the light. You are the city on a hill at your workplace or at your school uh, or on your rec frisbee team. I don't know what it is. Uh, but you are a light where you exist. And I think for us to be able to bring... Jesus and to bring redemption to our broken world, I think the only way to do that is to pray right now. So what I actually want us to do is take two or three minutes to pray with the people around you. Because I want, I want us to be in prayer for the people next to us, the people around us, and I want us to be praying that God would reveal to them how we can be redemption and how we can be uh, Jesus in the brokenness where they exist. I understand that might be uncomfortable. You may not know the people around you, and I think this is a great chance to meet them. But I would love it if we could pray for each other. Pray that God would reveal this in us, how we are to bring redemption through Christ to our contexts. And when we're done, we will begin to worship God again.